You're listening to Always Player One, a solo board gaming podcast. Hello and welcome to Always Player One. I'm Scruffy Gamer. And I'm Norm. Okay, so guys, today is our second episode, and what we're talking about today is the solo deck building game Friday, and we found it fitting as we're talking about the game Friday to also talk about the subject of difficulty in solo games. Uh, Scruffy, what else have we got coming up? So after we've uh, talked about that, we'll be taking your feedback from last episode uh, and your responses to our questions, and we'll be asking a new question this week, and we'll read out your answers in the next episode. Perfect, yeah. So once we're done with the main topic, we'll continue the conversation with you guys, the listener. So um, if I can uh, start by talking about Friday, very quickly, if you haven't played Friday before, it's a um, solo-only deck-building game. It's designed by Friedman Fries and it was published in 2011. You're looking at about 25 to 45-minute playtime. It really takes up very minimal time and table space. It's quite a small game. Uh, in the game, what players do is they take on the role as Friday and they attempt to help Robinson Crusoe survive on a desert island. In the game, what you'll do is you'll cycle through a deck of hazard cards. Each time a cycle is completed, the hazards increase in difficulty. Uh, players will then play cards from their own deck and attempt to overcome the hazards. If they are successful, the hazard cards are added to your deck and they improve your deck. If you fail, you do lose life, but for every life you lose you'll be able to trash cards from your play area. So hopefully that helps you out a bit as well. If you do make it through the hazard deck three times, you uh, battle pirates, which kind of act as uh, if this was a video game, these guys would be like the final boss. And if you beat the pirates, you win. If you ever run out of life, you lose. Does that sound uh, yeah, that, right? You know, absolutely. You know, when I when I, when I did uh, the playthrough, I thought that you were playing as Robinson Crusoe. So it's news to me that you're playing as Friday. Isn't he the imaginary friend? He is the imaginary <laughs> friend, yes. I looked it up on the geek, and I think the description says that you as a player are Friday, and you're trying to guide Robinson through the uh, through the desert island. So that's a bit of a, an abstraction there, um, or a bit meta there, as you, you as a player are, are actually Friday. Um, so, yeah, I thought you were Robinson as well, but blow me down. Well, that's amazing, because a lot of the cards are things like... Um distracted or just the sort of thoughts that come to Robinson, I guess. The sort of, so this one, this you've pulled up the focused card, I've pulled up the genius card, the strategy card, pulled up the distracted card, pulled up the stupid card, the suicidal card. And I guess those are the kind of the, the thoughts that uh, Robinson's having in the, in the disastrous situation that he's found himself in. And I guess it makes sense that you're Friday, you're the person giving him those crazy or <laughs> hopefully more helpful than crazy thoughts doesn't feel like it well yeah and, and, and that's the thing i mean the reason we've chosen to do friday uh with this topic is because it feels like uh, a lot of the feedback we've seen on it from different people is people are often saying it's a really really hard game and um it, it seems like uh, some people think it's impossible you know um others others after a number of plays also find it too easy so it's an interesting one for the for this subject yeah but um Obviously, like Scruffy said, he's uh, obviously done a a playthrough, which is available on his YouTube links in the description. But uh, how did that go? First of all, no spoilers, but how did it go? Well, I don't mind giving spoilers here, but uh, just before I dive into that, I just want to say you said that uh, some people find it uh, a lot easier after multiple playthroughs. I think I might be the opposite because I, I was kind of in the camp and going into this episode, one of the reasons we chose this topic is because I thought that it was, I was one of the people thinking Friday's too easy. You can't, you can't lose it. You know, once you get a basic sort of formula, even on the hardest difficulty, I couldn't imagine how you could possibly lose it. And I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, when I settled down to film the first thing, I, I was doing a playthrough. It was all going, you know, standard, fine, no problem, no sweat. And I got to the uh, the last hazard, the last uh, turn on the on the third phase, and I lost. <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, okay, maybe this is hard." I had a quick look at the rules and realized I was I was making things a bit tricky for myself. 
Uh, I wasn't playing the rules quite right. Um, got a few things wrong. And so I settled down to do it again. And that's the video that I've uploaded to YouTube. But oh my God, it's uh, it's a lot harder than I thought it was. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know what's different. Maybe I got really lucky the, the times I've played before. But do you know... I've got to say, it made it more fun. That that it was that it wasn't really easy. It wasn't a, a piece of cake. I thought Friday wasn't for me, but now I'm kind of like maybe maybe there's something to this game. You know, uh, it made me want to play it even more, um, just to to uncover all its secrets. You know, this is news to me. See, I thought we'd be coming into this episode uh, <laughs> with a, like a good cop, bad cop. I'd be going, guys, don't worry. It's it's a difficult game. Like. It's fine that you're dying on in the game a lot. Well, that's what and, I thought. And, like, and that you would be, oh, um, no, it's not a difficult game. <laughs> you guys yeah, should. I thought it. I was going to be a real heel and just be like, you know, ah, oh, you guys suck. I'm amazing. This game's <laughs> easy. But if you watch the playthrough, you'll see. I uh, yeah, I get, I get, uh, <laughs> I get pushed up against the wire quite a lot. It's, uh, it's, it was not an easy, uh, not an easy run. I'm not going to say whether I succeed in the end or not, but oh my god, Friday's a hard game. <laughs> Brilliant. So I, um, I, was, I was intending to play on the hardest difficulty, uh, but I forgot to put an aging card in my deck. You know, when you you meant to draw one of the aging cards into your deck, so I was kind of playing on almost hardest difficulty. Um, I messed up the setup. I, I got it right the first time around. Messed it up the second time around. Never mind. Um, but yeah, even even without that extra aging card in the deck. Uh, it was a really hard game. It didn't need it. So, so for context, how many times do you think you played Friday? God, um, I really don't know. I think I would say not too many. Uh, maybe just around nine or ten times, probably. I mean, I, I did it. I went through each of the different difficulties. There's four different difficulties on there, and I played the very hard difficulty a few times, and then I obviously did two playthroughs for this podcast so yeah i'd say i'd say around around about that um I, yeah i i guess i just got really lucky in the times where i did the very hard mode in the past you know i mean i i remember ages ago i made a video of it for you to show you that you can do it because you were coming to me saying it was impossible <laughs> yeah yeah i know and in that video you absolutely nailed it um yeah. and and i learned a lot i actually won my first game uh, of Friday immediately after watching that video, I felt inspired. <laughs> so, yeah, and, for, for listeners, I, I've taught Norm everything he knows about board games. We'll edit that out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm in charge of the editing. That stays. <laughs> oh, goody. Um, <laughs> so, um, what what kind of things do you like or dislike? How do you feel about Friday in general? So I think one of one of my favorite things is the way the, the aging cards work and that uh, you are trying every cycle of your deck, you are trying to get rid of the aging cards. They are horrible. When you, if you pull up an aging card against the hazard, it just it's a spanner in the works. Um, and there are a few cards that let you kind of cheese it a little bit because normally the only way to remove cards, like you said before, is if you lose life, you can trash cards, you know, and aging cards cost two life. To trash which is expensive and not only are you losing that life but you're not adding the hazard to your deck which means you're not getting a nice card so you're having to lose to make progress in that sense because i can't imagine how you could possibly win at the game if you do try and just keep all the aging cards in your deck but luckily there are a few cards um that have the destroy ability and that's pretty powerful because the way that works is when you play those cards you can use that ability to just turn one card face down, it counts as a zero for the hazard you're on, which isn't great, but it then removes it from your deck. So you can succeed at the hazard and remove cards. I feel like they're the way to go, really. Like they, they, uh, They're the only thing that dragged me through, was getting a few lucky draws of them with the aging cards, you know? Yeah, and the aging cards, I think, are a really nice piece of design because one of the things you can do on Friday is you can very quickly, because you have so many opportunities to thin your deck, you can very quickly get in a very efficient deck. But if you have a very efficient deck, which is low in cards, but they're all good, every time you cycle through your deck, you have to add an aging card in. 
So your deck is never completed. You never finish constructing your deck because it's never perfect. Mm. Um, things are always getting added in. I think that's a really nice thing for um, players to try and overcome. Sometimes you've, sometimes I don't know about yourself, Scruffy, but sometimes when you get an aging card, you you, you sort of think. I'm not, I know I'm not going to win this interaction, so I really hope I get my aging card. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. now. Especially yeah. early on when you're really wanting to thin your deck out. I've had I had times where I drew a card and was like, brilliant, so I win the interaction. That sucks. I really wanted to lose this one, you know? That, that whole thing you were saying about cycling your deck, it, it feels really quite killer. Like you, you, you feel like you're doing the right thing by getting rid of all your... Because your deck starts rubbish. It starts with like four good cards in it and the rest are just bad. abysmal abysmal cards yeah and so you want to get rid of them but when you do you look at your deck and you go wow i'm going to be cycling through this in another one or two hazards so i'm going to get another aging card and then i'll have to deal with that and it's oh it's uh very tense some of those aging cards are really really nasty so sometimes you think yes i've built a really good deck and then one or two (laughs) hazards later you go this is actually pretty a pretty dangerous and swingy deck now because i've got one or two aging cards in there that are really going to... Oh, yeah, if you let one get through a, a whole cycle uh, and you just go, well, I can't get rid of that aging card. I'm going to have to put it in my discard and draw it later. I mean, you, you, you're in trouble. You're like, wow, this is this is going to really mess me up. And it does. And very quickly, the turnaround is very, very fast. And then you've got another aging card from the cycle as well to worry about. It's it's pretty scary. And the only, the way, the only way to combat that is by adding more cards to your deck by succeeding at the hazards. Um, but you've got to hope they're good cards, um, like a few destroys or um, other cards that can manipulate. The abilities on the cards I really like, actually. They're very they're very good, the way they allow you to manipulate the game and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. When you play your cards from your hand uh, then or in your play area, the, the actual abilities are not super... They don't feel super powerful. I, you don't feel like you're making that many decisions when you're playing your cards. But actually, the, the timing, the order of which you you select the, the or the order of which you pull out the triggers, you know, your plus one life, you can continue drawing cards. Um, mm. If you have plus one life, because you can pay a life to keep drawing cards, so they they double up as like a like a draw a card essentially. So it doesn't immediately appear that there are a lot of decisions there when you're playing your cards, but actually, the there kind of is, and it's it's subtle, and it's not something you pick up on your first play. But after repeated plays, like you were saying, Scruffy, you do tend to go, oh, yeah, well, actually, this ability is really good, or this ability, uh, I don't want to use it yet until I see the next card I draw, for example. Like when when you use your double, for example. Mm. Um, there's, yeah, it's really interesting. I'm glad you, you spoke about it. because well, I mean, card, card draw could be nice, because each hazard has uh, a number of free cards you draw, and then... You're, like you say, you're paying life to keep drawing more cards. But there are cards that let you draw cards or you can gain life. But the only problem is the more cards you draw to take on a hazard, the quicker you cycle through your deck. And then you bring in more of those aging cards. So taking on the big hazards gets you nice rewards, nice cards, but it does mean that you're going through your deck faster. It's a really interesting push axis of like, um, do I go for the easy one? Just because I don't want to use many cards in my deck and get aging cards, or do I want to go for the the, the hard one? And I guess it's about striking a balance there. Um, I don't I don't think you could do all of one or all of the other for one game. You couldn't say, well, I'm only going to take on the hardest challenges for this game, or I'm only going to take on the easy challenges for this game, because I think you, you need to do a bit of both. And I think that's a really lovely design choice there. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. The game is all about push and pull. When you trash your cards, you're losing life. When you thin your deck, you're making it more likely that you're going to get aging cards. Um, there's always a push and pull. Uh, whenever you get better at something, you have to pay for it somewhere else. And it might not be immediate on your first play, but very quickly you will learn that <laughs> nothing is simple <laughs> you know yeah. well, simple. I, I, I didn't realize until like i say these these last two plays that the game is difficult like it, it you know I, I don't know how it happened in the past maybe i'm maybe i've forgotten something that i did before or maybe 
I don't know, maybe I was doing it, playing the rules wrong or something in the past, but yeah, it's a very difficult game. Like it's it's really unforgiving. Suddenly you'll just have an encounter and go, but this is impossible. There's no way I can get, you know, eight points in three cards. That's that's impossible. <laughs> I'm going to have to spend life and I, I, I've got three life left. Where's all my life gone, you know? And yeah, it, it gets hard. Um, moving on from the, the difficulty and, and, and the cards, I think one of my favourite things about the game is it has quite a linear narrative, but it has a really solid narrative structure mm. in the way... Um, so, like I said in my description of the game, you cycle through this deck of hazards three times. If you're successful, you face the pirates. It's really nice because every time you cycle, you increase the difficulty. So the game is very much, you know, you build up, you get temporary mastery of your deck, and then things get harder, and the stakes are risen. And then you adjust, and then the stakes rise again. And then finally, when you're finished constructing your deck, you then get to use almost your entire deck against the pirates on the final boss. And I think it's a lovely narrative where you build, and things get harder, and you build, and you overcome. And then finally in this big flurry of cards across your table, you get a really big boss battle at the end. And I think that's a lovely, like I said earlier, it's almost like a video game where you uh, you go through the levels and then you fight the big boss and hopefully you come up victorious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but- that use of difficulty to determine pacing is absolutely spot on with the game. You're, you're totally right, Norm. It's... Uh... Yeah, it's exactly what you say. It's like a story, you know? You start off on, on a fairly easy sort of setting the scene, establishing, finding your feet, and then you, you move on to things getting a bit hard. And I think in the yellow phase, things are kind of manageable. You can you can get through most encounters without losing life. If you've got a really strong deck, it's a challenge, but it's not too hard. And then the red phase, you're, you're going to be losing life on most encounters, you know? And I think... Um... Correct me if you disagree, feel free. Um, But I think if you do succeed in the red phase, if you have a deck good enough to do that, you're almost definitely going to succeed against the pirates. Mm. And that's only one of the things that I I really like the final fight with the pirates. It does feel tense. After playing it a number of times, I feel like if I'm doing well in the red phase, I already know that I've won. I don't know what you think about that at all. I'm not so sure. I mean, it depends how well you're doing in the red phase, because to be honest, I felt like in the in the red phase, both the last games I played, it was just about surviving. It's like I've just got to live this red phase. I'm just going to take that, explore the raft, because that's less cards and less life. It's going to make me lose, you know. Um, mm. But I guess if you're if you're absolutely breezing through the red phase and, and doing each one, yeah, you're going to be feeling very comfortable, aren't you? But it would only take a couple of bad aging cards for you to lose a lot of life on the on the final pirate. And the aging cards do get worse towards the end of the game as well. Mm. Um, so that is something that does make it a little bit more uh, swingy. So I guess maybe, yeah, I guess maybe you're oh, right. That's, a, that's something we didn't point out as well. The um, There's a kind of an, uh, an enrage timer on the game where, by that I mean, if you take too long and you cycle through your decks too many times, you'll start hitting, there are three really nasty aging cards. Um, and if you pull up one of them against a hazard, you're almost definitely going to lose that hazard, you know, or, or a lot of life trying to trying to mitigate it. Um, it feels like they are kind of game over mechanics. Yeah. I don't know what happens when you've used all of those. I didn't, I, I don't think I've ever got there. Maybe that means... I've, I've never, it's never even occurred to me to check because I've not got to that position before. But... I'd be interested to know. Maybe I'll look it up after yeah, after yeah. the episode. Um, but yeah, I guess maybe it would be a timer. Maybe maybe the game would end, or I'm not sure. Actually, I don't know. Yeah, but it adds a, it adds a, a real sense of urgency to the game, and and kind of frames it all in this thing of okay, I need to not, you know, cycle through my deck too many times. I need to. I need to just. Because the, the the way the game works is you can just keep drawing cards if you keep paying life, right? Until you succeed at the hazard. And so the temptation might be to keep doing that. But then you go, oh, but if I do draw a card here 
and it will take maybe two or three cards, I'm going through my deck quicker. And if you do it too much, you'll end up pulling up those horrible aging cards. So it kind of makes you kind of face the face the moment of being, well, maybe I'll just maybe I'll just take this loss and stop here. Stop here and, and lose the life and trash these cards I'm not that keen on having in my deck and, and move on. So it keeps things flowing and ticking really nicely. It goes back again to it being a push and pull. Everything you do in this game has some kind of counter. If you're doing something that works out well for you, there is some negative counter somewhere else. Yeah. If you're doing something that's working out bad, you you are normally given the opportunity to capitalize, like thin your deck when you lose life. Um, it's all about the push and pull, um, as we keep as we keep saying. But yeah, that's that's really interesting. But um, I, I think it's yeah. probably the best example of a game that uses its uh, loss conditions, and it's it's every 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 time you get something bad happen. It feels constructive. It feels like you're still making progress. It's very rare well, that you learn something every time. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, mechanically in the game, you know, I mean, the the very basic one of if you lose a hazard, you're thinning your deck, and that that's fine. That's just as much progress sometimes as winning at a hazard. So every every battle, um, it feels interesting whether you lose or win there are just situations that are really terrible like if you lose but there's no card you want to remove from your deck then you've lost lost you know and you're in a yeah. position there where you're like ah no i need to draw another card i need to i need to make progress somehow otherwise i'm i'm, I'm not happy um and as hard a game as it is to to win and to get good at it's a very easy game to learn would you would you agree yeah definitely um and yeah, I think it, I think especially if you play it on the not the hardest hardest difficulty, it can feel quite relaxing. I mean, I think if it ever does feel too easy, then you should definitely up the difficulty, definitely, and, and give it another go. Yeah, because I, I didn't enjoy the game until I was finding it really hard in these last few games. Um, and I think that's really interesting. How do you feel? Just to open this up a bit more broadly, how do you feel, Norm, about games that let you set your own difficulty like that? Variable difficulty is one of my favourite things in solo games because, well, if, if we're talking about difficulty in, in a broader sense, variable difficulty is something that I really love mm. for the reason that difficulty affects replayability. If something is too hard that I can't win, I'm going to find myself reluctant to pick it up and fail. You know, I don't want to spend 10 minutes setting up a game that I already know I'm going to lose before I begin. Um, that being said, if something is too easy and I begin to find it trivial, then it's also going to have a hard time getting off my shelf and getting to the table because I don't want to know the outcome before I begin. And that's the you know games need a level of uncertainty, and one of those areas of uncertainty with games like Friday, games where you don't have a beat your own score mechanic, games that give you a victory condition. I think variable difficulty is is really important. I also <laughs> I also <laughs> have the opinion that I know <laughs> I'm really bad at setting things easy for myself. I'm really bad at giving myself an easy time. I I see people in the, in you know playing Mage Knight and saying, "Oh, I I set the city levels at at 3 and 5 because I'm still learning." And I think I would never do that. <laughs> and I think good for them. That's awesome that they can do that and just go, you know what, I'm learning the game, no pressure on me. But I I can't for some reason. I have a real hang up on it. If 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 I have to tone the game down for me to do well, I really have a hard time letting myself do that. I don't know if that's something I'm, you've done. I'm absolutely the same. I mean, the thing is though, I always prefer a game to be too hard than too easy. If a game's too easy, I feel bored. If the game's too hard, I sometimes feel angry or frustrated, and usually I'll blame the mechanics of the game and say that it's broken or unbalanced or whatever <laughs> to make myself feel better. Um, but then I'll go back to it and, 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 and get good, you know, and, and want to work on it and, and, and win eventually. Um, I, I, I was, I'm was wondering what you'd say would be the uh, alternative to varying difficulty, and you did mention score there. Would you say that's kind of an alternative to varying difficulty if you just have to keep trying to beat your own score, which inevitably will make it more difficult? 
um, because you're trying to get a higher score every time and every time you play, you're trying to get a higher and higher score. Yeah, and that yeah, absolutely, because the difficulty doesn't matter then. Um, it's just you against yourself. And I think the reason that difficulty in games is interesting topic for, for a solo board gaming podcast is because when you play multiplayer, the, the difficulty is set by the opponents you're playing against. The game, if it's easy to win, it's might be because your opponents didn't play very well. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're playing solo, the inherent difficulty of the game is a much more, it's much more in the spotlight, you know, than it is multiplayer. It's if if you win and it was too easy, then you need to the game needs to have something to to adjust for for your skill level. Um, and if it doesn't, then it's then maybe that's a problem with the, with the game. So I think that's why it's such an interesting topic for solo games uh, as opposed to to multiplayer games. Yeah, that yeah that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think you're totally right, Norm. Um, yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, just going back to Friday for a second. Um, one other thing I really like about Friday, and I was hoping to bring up, is the way that you interact with the game. So. When we say you cycle through a deck of hazard cards, we don't mean you do each one every time. You pull up two and you choose one. And I think that's really nice because, like you said, Scruffy, when you get into the red fades and you are just holding on, (laughs) um, you can purposefully just pick the easier fight. And it also it's very friendly to newer players or new players in general, whether you're new to to Friday or wherever you need to board games in general, feels very familiar. It almost feels like an app, you know, click this one or this one, select this card or that card. Um, and then when you do select your hazard, you just, because you just turn over a number of cards, if you if you haven't got what you need, you can stick or twist. These are really common concepts for people who play games or who don't play games. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why it's so popular as a solo game because it has really familiar concepts to for, for new players and some other <laughs> popular solo games might not be as as easy to learn but um i don't know is that something you've sort of considered or enjoyed about the game before yeah, the level of agency for the player is is brilliant and the, the, your choices are always like you say a stick or twist just do you want to carry on do you want to stop do you want to that's always what it's asking you like okay it's always an option of two things isn't it do you yep. this hazard or this hazard okay now do you draw a card of course you draw one card okay now do you draw another card then once you're finished okay brilliant so you lose which card would you like to use, lose out of these cards you know it's, it's very it feels like the sim- the choices are always very simple and i said while i was playing it always ends up feeling like it's playing itself but you are the one in yeah. charge. You're you're you are in the driving seat. So it will give you bits of information, and then you just go, "Oh, okay. Well, I'll just I'll pick that one." The description I would use is simple but impactful decisions. Mm, mm. It, the, tem- the the pace is really quick. The tempo is really quick. It, it it feels so. It's not like one of those games where you go in and you're you're you're, you're sat and you're thinking and you're putting your hand in your head, going, ah, "How do I get from here to here?" Or how do I get the resources I need and get and, and min-max this perfectly. It's, it feels very light, even though it's very difficult. Okay, absolutely. And it does it does that so well. It walks that tightrope extremely well. It's very approachable to learn and to play, very difficult to, to win. Um, but I do know that there is a camp that, like you said, um, once they've got the hang of it, um, they, they feel like they've got the hang of it. Um uh, I don't know if you listen or listen to the One Stop Carp Shop podcast or their YouTube channel, but um, uh, they put Friday in their top twenty solo games. But they they said <laughs> what you might not like is once you get the hang of the game, you feel like you can beat it even on its most difficult setting. But you know, I think you have to play it a lot in order to get. That. I think that that is something that I didn't realize that every game of Friday in some way because of the the way the randomness happens you you it's not always going to work you know your i mean maybe i haven't got the strategy pinned just right and maybe i'm missing something quite important but i think i played exactly the same as i did when i breezed through it on the hardest difficulty um i think the difference is the way the cards came out gave me different options 
And sometimes the cards just fall in such a way that you don't have the best luck and you, you end up losing a bunch of life in one encounter and it happens again and it sort of snowballs. I mean, I pulled up an aging card that I had. There are things that you have no control over. What aging card comes into your deck? You have no idea. And when you draw it, you don't know when you're going to draw it. And when that happens, it takes the control out of your hands. And even if you have the best strategy in the world, I think you can still definitely lose on hardest difficulty just because of of, of a bit of bad luck, Um, which doesn't feel like a bad design choice. I think it's nice, especially for solo games. I think they can really get away with a bit of chaos messing you up even if you played a perfect game to some extent i think it can be nice to know that you can still lose does that make sense it makes complete sense and i agree with that wholeheartedly actually i think yeah you if you you don't want it to be solved we spoke about this a little bit with Fisroid odin and the randomness in that game the randomness in this is much more forefront it's much more abrasive with you as a player it goes no, you may not. <laughs> you may not win this card. You you may not uh, succeed in this encounter. It's much more forefront, and you have to be okay with that. And if you're not okay with that, it probably isn't game for you. But then again, maybe if you're not okay with that, you might even still think it's okay because it's such a short playtime. If you crash and burn in the yellow phase, this is a 25-minute game, maybe less, you know? Yeah. And you might... You might be completely fine with it, and you can very easily just shuffle the cards back up, deal them out, and go again. To some extent, I don't know if solo gaming is for you, if you can't be okay with the idea that you can play really well and still lose the game. Because I think solo games inherently, like you say, in multiplayer, it's good to have a game where the, the best player wins, the player who plays the best gets the highest score and wins. But I think in solo games, it's kind of different because... It needs to have the element of chance to lose, the element that you might not succeed. And whether that's that you might not succeed because you might not get as good a score as you normally get, or whether you might not succeed because uh, the scenario has a loss condition, like a Robinson Crusoe or Friday, where you might run out of life or you know your structure gets destroyed, whatever. I think it, it needs to be possible to lose, otherwise... There's no conflict. There's no challenge. You just you might as well. I I don't know. If there's if there's not the chance to lose, then where's the fun? You know. Yeah, game needs like I said earlier. Game needs a level of uncertainty. Um, and I'm assuming that a couple of caveats in what you were saying now. I'm assuming that you're talking about games like Friday where they give you a winning and losing. No, no, no. I mean, like like I was saying, I think that in a game, for example, like Mage Knight, where it can be you can go in knowing I, I know I know how to play this, I know how to win at this, I've set the difficulty level such that I expect to win at this. But still you've set your own condition of like, well, I want to beat my last high score. That needs to be possible, you know? That you can't okay. beat your high score. And not because you played badly necessarily, but just because of bad luck. I drew the wrong cards. I didn't quite get the right enemies at the right time, you know? But even in Mage Knight, there's a win and a lose condition. You know, let's say you're doing a conquest scenario, you need to conquer both cities. In in again, in like we when we covered Feast Road in our last episode, mm. um, you could just play through the game, get a terrible score, and then pack away, and it doesn't matter. There's no win or lose condition, uh, except for it tells you to aim for a certain amount of points, which I I don't remember. That was two weeks ago we talked about that. Jeez. Um, <laughs> but um, it tells you to aim for a certain score. But if you get it or you don't, it's not really a not a true winning condition in the way that Friday is, where you you either succeed in, in, in glorious battle with the pirates or you crash and burn and you run out of life. Um, and I think in, in these games, it's a lot more important that, yeah, you can get the game can do something unexpected and you have to be okay with that. I do. I agree. But I think it's even more important in games like Friday or Mage Knight or uh, many of the other solo games, Robinson Crusoe, where you have um, a win condition. You have to do this to win. I don't know if you 
you agree with that, but I think it's even more important in that case. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of what the what the alternative. You said that Feast for Odin is a good alternative where it doesn't have a, a loss condition, but you do still need, like we said in the last episode, you need that level of of randomness and 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 chance or some sort of something something external to your decisions that you don't have agency over that can affect your game. Okay, I've I've got an interesting one for you. Um, so I know it's not your favorite game in the world, but Caverna, mm-hmm. um, Caverna has no randomness at all. It tells you yeah, it uh, in, in solo games in the solo mode, it tells you what actions to lay out and when they're revealed. Oh, okay. It also doesn't let. Um, because on the action spaces they accumulate resources when they're not chosen, it doesn't let any action space accumulate more than six. So Caverna is, you can plan from turn one to turn whatever when you when the game ends. And it has a certain number of turns, so it always ends at the, at the same time as well. There is zero randomness. That's interesting. There is, yeah, there is also zero uncertainty, except for, and it, so I read a very interesting book called Uncertainty in Games, which you guys should absolutely check out if you're at all interested in this sort of subject. I could speak about it all day. Um, and they say there are seven types of uncertainty in games, and that uncertainty in gaming is essential. And for a game like Caverna in solo mode, where there is a, appears to be no uncertainty, they, they call it analytical uncertainty, where there's actually no real uncertainty but the level of planning involved and the level of branching decisions, well, once you take one action, that then gives you this resource, which then opens up these decisions. The level of branching decisions is so difficult to map out that actually it's still uncertain enough to be interesting. And I don't know what, oh, so what so you the think. obscurity caused by not being able to sit down and work out every move makes it yeah. uncertain. That's really interesting. So, because... The choices are so obscure that you can't work out. You can't work out the best option by sitting down and working out because it would just take too long. And so you have to work based on instinct and and interaction with the board game and what you did previously, and then work on improving that next time. Or is it, yeah, is a game and and that 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 adds to the uncertainty. I've never I've never considered analytical uncertainty. That's that's a very interesting concept. I like it. But here's the counter. <laughs> Someone on Board Game Geek. <laughs> has pan, planned out what uh, what they did to... Uh, so the, the score that the solo mode asks you to get is 100. Um, and he managed to get over 200. And he puts down what he does on every single turn. Um, and I read that. And I've not played Governor since I read it. <laughs> because... If you beat that then, what's, where's the game, you know? Yeah, um, so... so... <laughs> Now I, in fact, even when I play multiplayer, I can't. <laughs> I still try and do the first four turns in in that script that he's he's put out because it's just I can't get that out of my brain. I know this is the optimal move. I why would I not do it? <laughs> it's kind of like we so try and take on something like speed running, and, and you know the mechanics, but there's no skill bar. You just know you just need to know how to do it, and then brilliant, you did it. You know. So, so that is the thing. So, analytical uncertainty is an interesting concept, yeah. but there is always someone <laughs> who's willing to do the legwork. Um, What's to and... say that? I mean, they might be wrong. There might be somebody that comes along. It's a very different game, isn't it? Uh, playing, playing it like that, trying to work out the most optimum moves. Yeah, I can't even remember if it was two hundred or three hundred that they scored. Three hundred seems really high, but it was a long time ago because. I used to play a bunch of Caverna solo, but like I said, that's kind of that's kind of put the uh, that's kind of put the dampness on that one for me. Um, but yeah, that, that that's one thing where I think it's more difficulty in games is more important when you have a winning condition than it is when you're trying to achieve a high score, because it feels more dramatic. Uh, it feels more, oh, I just won. I just made it out alive, you know. The score, if you have to count the score afterwards, is almost not not important, in my opinion. Okay, so final thoughts on difficulty in games. Do you prefer games to be too easy or too hard? Too hard. Yeah, too hard. Okay, so final thoughts on Friday. Um, would you recommend it as a... 
well, it's only a solo game. <laughs> would you recommend? Yeah, it's Friday? very fun. Um, I would definitely recommend maybe starting off. I, I, uh, it depends on your your skill level. If you want to, if you want to give yourself a bit of a challenge right from the start, then and go for one of the harder difficulties. But I think uh, the very hard difficulty expect to lose if you've not played before. Um, it's very hard. Yeah, and it's a very low price point as well. So if you're curious, just you know. I think I paid £11 uh, for mine. Okay, so um, I think it is time to talk about the answers from last episode's questions. Um, have you got them there? I do I have them here. So right first now, of all... I, haven't, I haven't heard a lot of these. Um, certainly haven't heard all of them in full. So what, we, what we're going to do in this section is Norm has been in charge of the correspondence and he's going to read out um, an edited version of the responses, and uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll see what you said. So the the question from last episode was, "What are your favourite solo games? How do you get into solo gaming?" Well, it was the question from last episode, um, because that's exactly what we were talking about. Um, but yeah, um, first of all, we're really surprised that the response we got so many positive responses and people writing in so thank you very much for that and we hope to to keep that going but certainly been part of the show that i really was really excited about so thank you um i'm not gonna name people give uh first and surname um i just i, I wouldn't like to do that so uh, i'm just gonna first name you all i uh, hope that's fine with you um so first of all, we had um, a chap called Eric write in on our Instagram. Um, he was uh, just picked up Feast Roden, so he said he uh, specifically got it for solo gaming whilst in quarantine, uh, which I think links into what we were talking about in last episode. I said, um, I actually said about how I think people are going to be playing in quarantine solo a lot more. I think we're going to get a lot more solo gaming, so I think that links in. What a good, a good pickup. Just want to say that right off the bat. Great choice. And he goes on to say that um, although it's heavier than what his partner usually likes, um, she might go ahead and give it a try. Um, and when I read that, I actually <laughs> reminded me of what you said about how it appears complex, but actually narrows the choices down for you. And it's actually very easy to pick up. Um, it's like a it's like a simple game wrapped up in <laughs> in a complex cloak. Um, so yeah, quite, I feel like with Feast nice. it always feels like you've got a, a kind of buffet of choices. It never feels really overwhelming. You can kind of choose which bit of the menu you want to look at. Well, I'm thinking I might want to, you know, uh, go go raiding. Where where can I go raiding? Oh, these four actions long here. Well, how many workers do I want to commit, you know? Um, or you can go the other way and be like, well, I've got two workers. What are my choices for the two workers? You know, you can look at either, either kind of axis of the um, worker placement board. And, and it... And it- really chops down at the complexity level for you it makes things gives you bite-sized decisions to make um so that's nice um he goes on to say that um in regards to the randomness he's perfectly happy with it and he can't wait to explore the multitude of the cards so um he seemed to be <laughs> a lot less critical no, of that than i mean than i'm I getting did. turned around on it like what we were talking about this episode i really am starting to realize that especially for solo games um where it's not so the, the the difficulty isn't player driven. The difficulty is your interaction with the board driven. If that makes sense. So randomness is, I think, a very a very good thing in solo games, or at least a very potentially not as problematic thing in solo games for me. But he did also make a suggestion. Um, he suggested that we use a variant if we're unhappy with it, where you choose your starting occupation rather than randomly determine it. Um, and there's still the same level of randomness when you pick up new occupation cards or roll the dice, but um, you actually get to choose your occupation card, um, which I thought would be interesting, you know, especially if you know you have a strategy you want to try out. Um, I don't know if that's something that I would do. What, what do yeah, you that's think a really good that? idea. I mean, what I tend to do when I play is I, I usually draw two occupation cards and pick one. Let's do it because there are some that I really don't like, and I think I'd have a bad time playing the game if I landed with one that I don't like. Um, and like I say, I always use the the C, like I said last episode, I always use the the C deck because I tend to find that the starting occupations and the other occupations in the C decks are, are, are just nicer and more to my sort of play style. So I guess it's about finding which deck works best for you, um, or mixing them all up and giving yourself over to the gods of chaos. 
Cool. Well, thanks for writing in, uh, Eric. Um, we also got um, a bit of a longer one from Joe on Facebook. Um, and Joe said, uh, he, in response to our questions, he said that he's uh, been pay- playing solo games infrequently on and off for several years. And uh, although he's not been drawn to it as much as multiplayer games, there are some games he prefers solo, such as uh, Robinson Crusoe is the example he gives, um, which is one that you've played solo, but I haven't. Um, says it feels more the reason he prefers it is because it feels more thematic with one survivor of a shipwreck I don't know what you think oh yeah I totally get that with the Robinson Crusoe game Um, I played it like you say solo and with with some friends including you Norm and I found it a lot more immersive solo Um, you have two sort of support characters in there like when you're playing solo I think you have Friday and a dog and they kind of feel like your friends and you kind of feel like you're going a little bit mad as you start attributing personality to them. Like if the dog does really well, you go, Oh, he's a good dog. Oh, I like my dog. <laughs> and you start feeling like you're getting wrapped up into that sort of world of isolation that the, yeah, uh, it's a perfect um, theme for a, and I guess that's why Friday does it too. It's a perfect theme for a, for a board, uh, solo board game where you're a lone survivor. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it starts if it starts making you talk to inanimate objects, I'm not sure I want to give it a go. Um, um, Joe goes on to say, occasionally he'll play a solo game to learn the rules, which is a great way to learn rules, um, as long as there aren't too many that are solo specific. So yeah, I guess if, if the game has to change a lot to be uh, a solo game, one, I might not enjoy it either uh, as an experience, and obviously it's not a good way to learn the rules. So yeah, that's fair enough. Um, he goes on to say, though, that with the birth of his second son um, and his partner heading to, to bed a little bit earlier for night feeds, he's found that he's had more free time to uh, uh, at the end of each day. Um, so he's starting to uh, to find it a little bit more appealing rather than looking at a screen to uh, start unwinding with a, with a, with a solo That's game. All. Um, yeah, which is something I can absolutely... Uh, get on board with and yeah um, yeah I can imagine kids would do that yeah. <laughs> let's move on he also says uh, one advantage of playing solo which he's never considered before is making use of game expansions so uh, when he plays face to face there's often a new player at the table so the base game is preferred but um, when he plays solo he can, can explore the whole content of, of a board game that he's gone ahead and, and invested in so that's, that's pretty nice yeah I, I never thought of that that makes a lot of sense. Like I, I wouldn't have played with uh, some of the uh, some of the expansion stuff for Mage Knight if I, if it wasn't solo. I don't think. Absolutely, and it reminded me of something. I remember us having a conversation about solo games from one of our friends who wasn't a solo gamer. Um, there are lots of hidden like uh, pros to to being a solo gamer, and and I remember them saying, "I didn't even think about that." They just sold Pandemic Legacy Season One because they realised they weren't going to play it with a group. And I said, why didn't you just play it solo? And they went, I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, solo gaming, absolutely, Joe, you're, you're yeah, spot yeah, on. Right. It's I mean, I think you also, you, you learn to appreciate the mechanics in, in a different way um, than when you're playing with players, especially if you play with the same gaming group and they always do the same sort of things. You can kind of anticipate what they're going to do. I know that, that, that my friends will often have the same strategy in, in, uh, in certain games. And then when you move to playing the same game solo and you're able to just have free reign and be like well maybe i'll try diving into the side of the game they usually play or maybe i'll play something that you know yeah it means you can interact with the mechanics in a totally different way it gives you a lot more free reign doesn't it yeah you don't have to worry about countering what they're doing you can instead make your own plans um without having that interference now obviously sometimes that that interference is what makes a game great but um it's also lovely to have both sides of the coin and i feel like if you don't play solo games you're not using your collection to its full potential um he goes ahead and makes a recommendation as well he says that uh, i might get this name wrong he says alban uh viard it's spelled v-i-a-r-d um is one of his favorite uh designers and tends to develop multiple modular expansions for each game he releases um he goes ahead and buys them all <laughs> and now he's finding that with um with solo gaming, he's getting to play them. Um, 
So um, he's made a few recommendations. One of them he recommended was Tramways, um, which by that designer, which I've actually looked into and started reading the rules. So I'm going to hopefully give that go on Tabletop Sim, maybe by next episode. Uh, Joe, I'll let you know exactly what I think about that. But he's looking into additional solo games now. After listening to episode, he's looking at Feast for Odin, and he's looking at things like um, Spirit Island as well. Um, oh, that's a cracker. I like Spirit Island. Yeah, I really, I really, really should play Spirit Island because it's extremely well regarded as a solo game. Yeah, it? it's good. I mean, I don't think it does uh, much that kind of really pushes the boat out to the point. It feels like a solo game. You know, it feels that the mechanics tie in and work in the same sort of way. It gives it gives me the same sort of sense of a lot of solo games. Um, but it's it's interesting and the theme's very nice. The tiles are very pretty. I'd, I'm looking forward to trying it again. It felt a little bit overwhelming having. Because I, I played it two hands and learning. So you have to learn a whole kind of mat of rules for your character that you choose and then keep on a, a track of both of their hands. I, I, maybe I was just not in the right mindset when I sat down to do it, but it felt quite overwhelming. I feel like it might play better two player, but I don't know. Well, it's extremely well regarded as a solo game, but if there was one thing that would put me off of trying a game solo, it's that you have to play it multi-handed. I really... It doesn't feel like true solo to me. Um, there are some games where I'm perfectly fine doing it, like Pandemic, because the game is short. It's not very complex. Um, it's easy to plan synergies between two characters because that's what you do in a in a multiplayer game, anyway. But um, when there's you know hidden information, or if or if the game is overly complex, like uh, like Spirit Island. Hearing that you would have to, I don't know if you, you have, have to. to. Not, I think you can play um, with just one thing. I just I read around and heard that playing with two makes for a more interesting game. Maybe I'll try playing it with just with just one hand. Um, let us know yeah. how you play it. Um, whether it's better with one or two, or yeah, make a recommendation because people are probably spitting their their drinks out their mouth when they hear that I. I'm the host of a solo gaming podcast. I haven't played Spirit <laughs> Island. Um, so let, please let me know what you prefer, whether you prefer one, two, three, or, or four-handed. And uh, if it's anything other than one, I probably won't pay it. <laughs> okay. Just want to say thank you very much for writing in. That was that was a really, really awesome uh, load of stuff. Thank you. Yeah, cheers, Joe. Really appreciate that. Um, so we also have um, a long, another long one from uh, Glynn. Um, now, Glynn uh, reached out on the, the first paragraph is so lovely. I'm going to read it okay. word for word. It says, <laughs> hi, guys. I listened to the first episode last night, and it's good stuff. My overwhelming takeaway is that you have the two things I look for in podcasts, knowledge and likability. Damn right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, yeah, that, it ends there. We don't need to read anything else, do we? <laughs> Brilliant. What, that, what, what perfect feedback. That's what we want to see. More of that. <laughs> Yeah, more of that, please. <laughs> um, but he does go on to give us some constructive feedback as well. But first of all, Glenn, that's really kind of you yeah. to say. And it's also extremely gullible because uh, <laughs> um, our, no- you know, our knowledge as a solo game is, like I said, it's, uh, some- we're still at the start of our journey. But I uh, no, appreciate that a lot. Um, okay, yeah, he goes on to say a couple of things. Um, oh, yeah, so another nice one he says is that... Um, it's nice because we have a shared history in gaming. Um, he said our friendship came through the conversation. So that's that's really yes. nice. Um, awesome. Um, but a couple of things he said. He said he found it a little bit difficult um, to follow what kind of a game of Feast for Odin was because we didn't sort of start by saying this is what a Feast for Odin is. We, we kind of kept dropping it into conversation. And he says... We almost apologized and said, if you haven't played before, sorry, this is actually what, what the game is. And he said, he, he, as someone who hadn't played it before, felt like a bit of an afterthought, um, which is fair. I think that's really fair criticism. What, yeah, what do you absolutely. Think? And I think, Glenn, we have tried to counter that. And I think, um, you know, at the start of this episode, we said exactly what kind of kind of a game Friday was, the table presence and the, um, uh, and the time it took to play. So hopefully... That's given you a, a, a really good idea. Um, and another thing is also obviously Scruffy has done a full playthrough. So if um, if what we described in our brief description isn't enough, you can just watch the full playthrough. And they're released in tandem with the podcast. So um, that is something that 
that you can check out as well. Um, I mean, you could even have that on muted in the background while you're listening to the podcast if you if you've got your screen up, and then you can see the game being played by listening to our lovely voices. But yeah, and the the email from Glyn was amazing. It was really long, um, so I'll cut it there. But he does go on to say about how he got into solo games, which is awesome. So he said he got into solo games. He said it's a bit weird to think about it now. But most of his experience has been watching uh, playthroughs and reading rule books. Um, so he lives in Vietnam. And every couple of years, um, he has to keep his game shelf pretty tight and transportable So <laughs> when right, he right. moves. So physical solo gaming has been limited. But his interest has grown because he's actually designing uh, and, and developing a game. So he's developing a solo mode for a, a football game. Now, this is football as in uh, what you Americans would call soccer, if you're listening to it across the pond, but um, actual football. <laughs> um, and he, he says the name, which is uh, Fassi Sack, which is F-A-S-I-S-A-C. Again, apologies for the pronunciation. And he says, yeah, he's, as he's developing the uh, solo mode for that, it's actually got him a lot more interested in solo games. Um, he hasn't played enough to have a favourite, but uh, he has tried out King Domino solo, um, and he's also looking into Spirit Island and Baseball Highlights 2045. Have you heard of Baseball Highlights 2045? I've not, no. Um, from what I know, it's a really well-regarded solo experience. Um can't remember the designer's name, but he used to be a host of Ludology, which is a podcast I really, really enjoy. Um, so he has lots of good thoughts on games, so it might be something worth checking out for myself. Um, Definitely. I'll see, if I can get, I'll see if I can get a playthrough of that in, or just at least uh, work out what it is uh, before the next episode. That sounds awesome. Thank you for the tip. Yeah, thanks a lot, Glenn. That's really, really appreciated. Um, so that's that's it for the feedback that we got. Thank you, everyone who wrote in. We really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Um, what are the questions that we're throwing out to the listeners this week? Yes, yeah, so the questions this week is, there's just one question, which is, are there any solo games you think are too easy or too hard? Are there any solo games that you think are too easy or too hard? Yeah, it's a pretty straightforward question. Um, but we want to use it as a jumping off point. We want to uh, carry on the discussion around difficulty in solo games because it does affect the like we said it affects the replayability the likability the there's so much that the difficulty affects in solo gaming um we want to know what your experiences are is there something way up on the <laughs> difficulty uh you know we want to know what what games are on what side of the uh the scales you know uh which ones are too easy which ones are too hard and i'm really interested to see what people what people think um if you had to guess scruffy what would you say what would you say is a solo game that's too difficult i think some people might say friday that's why we picked friday friday for this list but (laughs) i I don't know um yeah i don't know i look forward to hearing what people say i don't want to try to predict it okay that's absolutely fair and i think yeah i think friday would be i know one one. yeah this war of mine I've played it twice now, and both times just died almost immediately from nonsense. <laughs> that game is too hard, but it's fun. I mean, the, I think the whole point of that game is you're meant to lose. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I think you're meant to just have a miserable time. <laughs> the theme, that's the game. This war of mine, that's my top pick. <laughs> I think that can be a topic for a future episode. You know, a game, game, games that aren't meant to be fun, games that are meant to be to to make you think um and i think this war mine would be a really good candidate for something like that because um from yeah well from what you tell me about the game it definitely sounds like it's there to just make you feel bad <laughs> that's it so uh don't forget to check out my youtube channel links are in the description it's uh scruffy gamer if you just type that into youtube i, I don't know maybe i'll pop up uh, but otherwise the links are in the description it's a full playthrough of friday just to reiterate, the question this episode is that are there any solo games you think are too easy or too hard? And we have links to how to contact us in the description. Yep, so it's uh, alwaysplayer1podcast at gmail.com. You can also contact us through Facebook and through Instagram. Links are in the description. On Instagram, we are at alwaysplayer1podcast. So we should be 
really easy for you to find on that. But that's pretty much everything for uh, this episode, guys. So thanks very much for, for listening. I'm Norm. And I'm Scrappy Gamer. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Always Player One. Until then, reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or by email to keep the conversation going. <laughs>